In Jesus' name, amen. In our third reading for today, that gospel reading that we heard from Luke uh, 21, Jesus, like I said, gives this amazing promise uh, that just as surely as he came and lived and died and rose again and then ascended into heaven to be with the Father, just as surely is he going to come again. And that is an amazing promise. Uh, it was an amazing promise for his disciples. It's an amazing promise for us because uh, we live in a time, Jesus is not here, and it's easy sometimes to think, where is God? And, and has he forgotten about us with all of the, the problems and the issues facing us today? We're, we might be tempted to think that God doesn't care, that he's off doing his own thing, and he's just left us here on our own to figure it out. But Jesus promises today that he does care, that he does love us, and that he is coming again. That's his promise. And then at the end of the reading for today, he's, he tells us that while we wait for him to return, until that day when he should come back to gather us together in an eternity of love and peace and hope, until that day, he says, stay awake. He says, wait and watch. And, and he's reminding his disciples and us too that I think that until he should come again, that we should live lives that matter, that we should focus on the things that, that matter to God. And he, he tells them that it's easy to get distracted with all of the things of this world and get caught up in so many different things. But today, he's reminding us to live lives of importance, and to focus on the things of God. But he's going to need to teach us about what those kinds of things are, because the truth is that doesn't just come to us naturally. And so with the disciples in our reading with us today, Jesus is kind of reorientating us or spinning us around so that we would begin to see the world through his eyes and so that we would begin to see the kinds of things that matter to Jesus. And so until that day when he comes, we can lead lives of importance. And so he's going to reorientate us a little bit. And along the way, to be quite honest, he's not going to be gentle about it. With the disciples, as you probably heard in our reading for today, it's kind of like he's hitting them over the head. And uh, if we came in today worried about or preoccupied with the wrong kinds of things, or if we have put our hope and our joy and our faith and our trust in the wrong places, then it's going to be a hard message for us today to hear too. And it might even seem, as, as we read the gospel lesson and, and kind of walk through it, it might seem like Jesus is, is kind of being a downer, uh, like he's raining on our parade or taking away all of our fun. It seems like he's doing that with the disciples, like he's kind of killing all of their joy. Now, you all know someone like that, right? We all know someone who has just this innate ability to rain on everyone else's parade. Uh, none of those people are here, of course, uh, but we all know someone uh, like that. For example, maybe you're out to eat and you're enjoying this wonderful meal and you're surrounded by friends and you know it's not the healthiest, but you're not going to worry about that now. You'll worry about it tomorrow at the gym or whatever. And, and so you're eating this delicious meal and there's that one friend who's counting everyone's calories and reminding everyone how much cholesterol or fat or how that chicken was raised in this tiny coop and fed antibiotics. And you're like, I don't care. I'm not worried about that. Don't rain on my parade, right? And, and today, in, in our gospel reading, it might seem at first like that's what Jesus is doing with his disciples. And, and the truth is, if we put our joy in the wrong places, then Jesus will be a killjoy. But uh, that's not his goal. He's trying to reorientate the disciples and us so that we would see what matters to him. And so in the beginning of our gospel reading, there's Jesus. And uh, he's standing at the foot uh, of the great and mighty temple of Jerusalem, that magnificent Jewish uh, temple. And next to him are his disciples. And our reading for today says they are just in awe of what they're looking at. And, and the truth is that the temple in Jerusalem, the Jewish temple, was a sight to behold. It was majestic and opulent. Uh, both the biblical writers and secular historians tell us 
that this Jerusalem temple was just an amazing feat of mankind. It was made out of these giant stones, marble stones, hand-carved, 67 feet long, 12 feet high, 18 feet wide. And, and those giant stones were held together by these exotic imported Lebanese cedar beams that had floated down the coast and made their way to Jerusalem and now rose to the heavens. And, and the doors were plated with the most expensive metals of the day, gold and, and silver. The, the Jewish temple in Jerusalem truly was a sight to behold. And for every Jewish person, it was their pride and joy. And so I can just imagine the disciples standing back looking at this temple with their, their glorious master Jesus by their side and just taking it all in, right? This was something to be proud of. And that's when Jesus begins to spin them around and reorientate them. He tells them, you know, that, that temple you're looking at, it looks great, right? But in just a few short years, it's all going to come crashing down, he tells them. And, and, and the temple will be destroyed. Not just destroyed, but completely and utterly destroyed. Jesus tells his disciples that not one stone will be left standing upon another. And from history, we know this came true. In AD 70, uh, 70 AD, the temple was completely and utterly destroyed, never to be rebuilt. Um, and Jesus says this wasn't an accident or the work of man, but it was all a part of God's big plan. Uh, but that's not, that's not all. Jesus goes on to tell his disciples that in the coming days, Jerusalem and the people in that area are going to face some really hard times. There's going to be wars and famines and pestilences and, and the disciples themselves are going to be dragged before the courts and the authorities and forced to give a testimony for their faith. And from history we know that almost all the disciples, except for maybe one, were killed and murdered for their faith. See, that's a hard lesson to learn. But Jesus is reorientating his disciples because if they thought that they should put their pride and their hope and their joy in some man-made building, then Jesus is saying, you have got it all wrong. And if you're going to follow me, my disciples, think, thinking that this life of discipleship, being one of my apostles, is going to, to give you a life of ease and comfort and luxury and you're going to reap some material benefit from all of this, then you're in it for the wrong reasons. See, Jesus is telling his disciples that even if everything that they had been trusting in and hoping, buildings, comfort, luxury, even if all of that should be taken from them, they would still have the one thing that matters. And of course, that's him. See, he's telling them that he will never go away, that this world might fade away, that the temple before them, as beautiful as it might be, might go, but he will always be there. See, that's what matters to God. And as we wait and watch for the day when Christ should re return, he wants us to focus on the right kinds of things, to not invest in, in, in things that simply do not matter. Now that's a hard lesson for most of us to learn, isn't it? And it's one that we need to learn and relearn and then be reminded of constantly throughout our lives. Because you and I, uh, the truth is, I think that, that most of us, we have this amazing innate ability to pour worth into things that are ultimately worthless. We have this amazing ability to take gifts and turn them into gods. We take God's gifts, things like sports and entertainment and our cars and our homes and our possessions and the food that we eat and the drinks that we drink and, and the positions of power and authority we've been given on this earth and, and we pour more worth into them than they were ever meant to have. And they become gods for us. We begin to hope in them and trust in them. We begin to find our ultimate sense of joy and, them. and Jesus wants us to know that even if everything in this life should be taken from us, well, actually, even if this life should be taken from us, we would still have him. And that's what matters. 
Now, like I said, that's a hard lesson for most of us to learn. And I know I will probably uh, be learning this lesson throughout my life. Uh, but there was one time in my life where God was really kind of hitting this home for me. Uh, kind of like the disciples standing there looking at the mountain, Jesus telling them it's all going to crumble down, kind of hitting them over the head. Uh, God was kind of doing that with me. And it happened while I was on a, a mission trip to Guatemala. You know how mission trips go, right? You go to this faraway country in order to serve. You're going to do this big work, and what usually ends up happening is that you are the one being served. And uh, that was very much the case for me. It was during my first year of seminary, so I was going with other future pastors down to Guatemala City. And one of the first days that we were there, uh, our hosts, the leaders there, they took us to the city garbage dump. And they actually took us up onto the top of this hill, uh, which was an abandoned, kind of desecrated cemetery. And from there, we could look down into this vast, endless pit, this sea of garbage, just as far as the eye could see. And it was heartbreaking to know that at one point, this had probably been like a lush jungle, and now it was just garbage everywhere. And yet the most heartbreaking thing wasn't just the trash, but actually the people who were living in the trash. I see hundreds, if not thousands of people called that city garbage dump their home. And we watched the people there. As we were standing there, we noticed this kind of like interesting phenomena. Uh, we would watch the garbage trucks come in from town. But what would happen is as the trucks were making their way into the garbage dump on these narrow roads, there would be 50, maybe 100, 200 people running alongside the garbage trucks, just chasing them into the garbage dump, which I thought was weird. Some of them were jumping onto the sides of the truck, holding on for dear life. So eventually we had to ask, like, why are all these people chasing the garbage trucks into the dump? And what we were told is that these people were waiting for the trucks to stop and open up their back lids so that the trash could come out and so that they could dive in to try to find some sort of little trinket or treasure that they could sell for a few quetzals and, and, and maybe find a little scrap of food for their family. To say that it was heartbreaking, I suppose, would be an understatement. A few more pictures. Well, we, we stood on top of this hill looking down at all of this for maybe half an hour, uh, kind of silently, just taking it in. Uh, and then we were told we we're going to go to another part of town that was just a few blocks away, actually, and it was actually a city that was built on top of the old garbage dump. There had been another dump in town that had been filled over time, leveled off, and now there was this vast, endless shanty town that was built on the old garbage dump. And so there were home after home after home uh, made out of nothing but cardboard and corrugated metal roofing, no, no electricity, no water, no roads, just a, an endless shanty town built on top of the old garbage dump. And we we're going to go to see uh, a particular family that lived in one of those homes. And so I'm there on a mission trip, right? So we get in the car to head over there, and I'm thinking, all right, um, I'm going to be a pastor one day, so what kind of hope am I going to give this family? Uh, how can I possibly share any piece of joy with them, these people who have nothing, who are living in garbage, right? And I'm, I'm worried about this. It's going through my mind. And eventually we pull up to the house, and I have no idea what I'm going to say, but we get out, about 10 or 12 of us, and we all pile into this two-room little home. Again, dirt floor, cardboard walls, and uh, we're sitting on a couch that's nothing but springs, and there are chickens and wild dogs and mice running around our feet and fleas hopping from one to the other. And uh, eventually, after a minute or two, we're just kind of sitting there, and the family comes out. And they have the biggest smiles I've ever seen on their faces. And, and they, they're holding what is probably their only two prized possessions, the only thing in the world that they have uh, to their name. And it's a guitar, one of these big guitarones, and then a little drum. And uh, they began to play for us. And they had more joy as they played 
than I've ever seen since, uh, and more joy than I think I ever will see. Joy was infectious as they taught us to play their instruments. Uh, their joy just kind of spread to all of us. Now, uh, to be quite honest, these people were not ignorant. Uh, these were smart people, and they knew, they knew 100% uh, that they had nothing. They were quite aware that they had nothing. And yet they knew that they really had everything. Because they knew that they had Jesus. And while they didn't have any earthly possession to their name besides a few small instruments, they had a gift that was unlike any other. They had a hope and a peace and a faith and a joy that could never be taken from them. And here were we coming from America, right, with so much thinking that we were going to give so many things that they didn't have. And all the time, they were sharing with us this amazing gift of the love of Jesus. You see, to me, they were following Jesus' words at the end of our gospel reading for today where he says, wait and watch, stay awake, pay attention to what matters. They knew what, was ma- they knew what mattered. They knew that what mattered was the Savior who came to this world to live and then to die and to rise again so that they might live forever. And they knew that even if everything in this life should be taken from them or even if this life should be taken from them, they would still have Jesus. Brothers and sisters, let us wait and watch for our Savior. Let's invest in the kinds of things that our God invests in. Let's focus on what really matters to him. Not the temporary fading things of this world, but the gift of our Savior and his love and the joy that we have in him. To me, that looks like us going home and opening up our Bibles and searching the scriptures so that we might continually learn what, what is important to God and what matters to him. Uh, it looks like us coming together like we are today uh, with our family in Christ to encourage one another and to challenge each other when one of us begins to get it wrong and to say, hey, let's, let's get this right. It looks like us praying every day, turning to our Lord in prayer and saying, God, I have messed it up this week, but I know you forgive me. And then it looks like us going out into our neighborhoods and our communities and to our families and sharing that love of Christ and trusting that even if everything we have in this world would be gone one day, we would still have Jesus. And so we wait and we watch for him. In Jesus' name, amen.